0: Okay, well, let's pray over the word, then. Father, tonight we thank you for your word, and we know this—that your word is true. Tonight we believe that we receive from you. I understand, God. It's not these people didn't come to see me; they came to hear from you. And so, Lord, we we choose to give ourselves to your word this evening. Lord, your word says that your word brings light, and I believe that we're enlightened as we listen to what you have to say from your word. Lord, help us to to be true to what you say and receive what you say. So I pray for a spirit of revelation and I pray for understanding. Lord, I thank you for it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So let me ask you an important question as we start. Have you ever been under attack from the devil? Anybody? Okay, well, Okay. So maybe some of you are under attack right now. Maybe the devil's attacking you now. So let me ask you a question. What does that mean to be under attack from the devil? In fact, how do you really know if you're under attack from the devil? how How do you know that? How do you know it? I mean, when your car doesn't start and you're late for work, does that mean you're under attack? No. It could be that you just didn't take care of the car. That's exactly right. When it's tough at work, now I know that most of you are, are too old. I'm the young one who gets to work. I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. But when you're at work and you're having a bad day, does that mean you're under attack? Does that mean the devil's attacking you? When you have a fight with your sister, does that mean you're under attack? When the grandkids don't come to see you like they promised, does that mean you're under attack? When, when when you get sick, does that mean you're under attack? What does it even mean when you say, Well, I'm, the devil is just attacking me. I'm just under attack. Well, let me read you a scripture. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Let me ask you a question. Is she under attack? Now there's an attack. Eve was under attack. Wasn't because the car didn't start. It wasn't because she was having a bad day. It wasn't wasn't because she was sick. I mean, in fact, she's having a really good day so far. All those days were good up to then. It was a good day. I mean, everything was going wonderfully. All the bills were paid. Everything was going good. They had lots of food. I mean, it was wonderful. And yet, I think we can see that she's under tremendous attack. Sometimes the devil comes when it's going good. In fact, most of the time he comes when it's going good because that's when you're least likely to resist him. This is good so far, huh? So just think about this situation. Do you think, now you see pictures painted of Eve in the garden with the serpent. Do you think the serpent looked sinister to her? No, no. All these animals were friendly. I mean, they were good. She, you know, they loved the animals and the animals were good. They were all kind. And so the animal, the, the snake here looked like a sweet little snake or big snake, however, whatever the case was. He was a sweet thing. And he comes up to her and he starts talking to her because if he would have been frightening, she would have never listened to him. Right. right. She would have done what Moses did when he threw down the rod and turned into a snake. He fled, the Bible says, and she would have run off. So he he was a friend. He was someone she was not afraid of that she simply did not suspect for anything to come out of his mouth that was going to be wrong. So that tells me something very, very important here. Maybe the devil doesn't come to attack dressed in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork and a tail. Maybe that isn't how he looks when he comes. Maybe you're under attack when the devil starts talking to you through someone who looks like a friend. Amen. Maybe sometimes he talks to you through a friend. Maybe sometimes he talks to you through a friend who's got a Bible in their hand. Maybe. So, so what does it mean to be under attack? See, we've allowed Hollywood to fool us and make us think the devil looks a certain way and acts a certain way. I mean, but but, but the Hollywood doesn't get it. They don't understand how the devil attacks people. They don't get it at all. Now, let's talk about this attack here. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us what's going on. This is the attack. Paul said, but I fear lest by any means... As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. There is the attack. How did he attack? He beguiled her. The word beguiled means to seduce wholly to deceive. It literally means to separate one thing from another. I mean, she was separated from from what? She's being separated from the word of God. I mean, you know, you hear people say these days, uh, you only had one job. She only had one job, one thing to do, and it was not eat from that tree. And the devil was separating her from the word of God. I mean, now, now she and Adam had already had already put what the Jews called a fence law in place. God just said, God, God said, don't eat it. But then they added a law that said, well, if we don't touch it, we won't eat it. So they had what was called a fence law. They added one extra one, a layer, if you will, so they wouldn't break the important law. But they said this one thing they weren't supposed to do, but the devil now is separating them from the word of God. So that beguile, and subtlety means adroitness. Adroitness means, it, it means cleverness. It has to do with sleight of hand that a magician used. He's very adroit, and you can't really see what he's doing. It has to do with finesse or skill, craftiness or cunning. The devil, when he came in the in, in that serpent, I mean, he was very subtle. He was very skilled. He had a plan and he knew what he was going to say. He knew how he was going to carry it out. And just imagine as she's talking to him, this is a deception. He's lying to her. He's lying. Was the attack on her body? No. Was the attack on her house or her family? No. The attack was against her mind. He attacked the way she thought. And he knew that if he could get her to think a different way, a way different than what God said, then he had her right where he wanted her. I mean, he's lying to her. Imagine the emotions that are going through her. How beautiful that fruit is. How wonderful it would be. It's going to make you as wise as God. All the emotions were there, probably even a little bit of anger that God had been keeping it from them, and all these things were going on, but he attacked her mind. That's still how he attacks. He comes and he attacks you through the way you think. We have a fight of faith. And the fight of faith that we're involved in is about what we believe. The devil, what he wants to do, the first thing he wants to do is try to get you to reason with him. Because if he can get you to reason with him, he's got you right where he wants you. Because he's been around a long, long time. And he has been watching and dealing with humans for a long time. He knows that. He wants to corrupt our minds which is what he did to Eve through his deceit. The word corrupt there means to pine away, to waste away, to shrivel, wither. The devil comes and he comes and he comes and he keeps coming until you get weak and eventually you listen to him. You know how he comes and he whispers to you and you think it's your own thought, but he says, they don't treat you fair. And you first of all say, I bind you Satan, get away from me. And he comes back and says, they don't treat you fair. I mean, you could have been a movie star. (laughs) Get away. No, no, no. He comes back again. They don't treat you fair. You could have been a movie star. You'd be living in a huge house. And look where you live. And look at the struggles you have. You wouldn't have any of those. And all of a sudden, well, you know, I I probably was good enough to be a movie star. I mean, in my my day, I... I probably deserve to live in a better house than this. I, I probably deserve more than that. And all of a sudden, you begin to listen to what he's saying because you become weak over time. He keeps coming, he keeps coming, he keeps coming. The attack is not the car, it's not the job, it's not the family. It's the thoughts that accompany the event. Ooh, this got quiet in here. The car doesn't start. And you say a bad word. Why did you say it? Because you already thought it. By the way, if you have a car, you sure don't want it to be damned. I'm just going to tell you that right now. You want it to be blessed is what you want it to be. So don't start cursing at the thing. I mean, you want the thing to be blessed. But here he is. Here he comes and the attack is against your mind. I mean, he, he came to Eve. He attacked her thoughts, told her lies, gave, and, and listen, if you'll receive the lies, the feelings will come. You'll begin emotionally attached to the lies. You'll be able to rationalize why the lie might be true and why the word might not be true. And that's how he attacks. The Bible says this in James 4, verse 7, you know this verse. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a good verse to pass along. 1 Peter 5, 9 is similar to that, speaking about the attack of the devil looking for someone to devour. It says, whom resist, steadfast in the faith. Notice it says resist steadfast in the faith, not in the emotions. In the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The way we have to handle the devil is we must resist him at the point of the thought. We've got to resist him. Resist means to stand against, oppose him. How do we do that? Well, we've got to recognize that we have weapons to use against him. And those weapons are mighty. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 2. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. In other words, it's not, we're not fighting against these temptations, against these thoughts with our fists. We're not fighting against them with our emotions. We're not fighting against them with our anger. We're not fighting against them uh, by being loud and stomping and all the things. It says we, we fight them in the spirit because it goes on to say, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshy, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Our weapons are mighty, the word mighty literally means they have supernatural power, supernatural ability, the weapons that God gives us. It says, now now, here's the way to tell us what the weapons are for. It says they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. There's that same warfare. It's the same thing, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So here's telling us that these supernatural weapons are powerful enough for us to to cast down imaginations. What's an imagination? Well, imagination is an image in your mind. All right? It is either agreeing with God or disagreeing with God. This is talking about the ones who disagree with God. The ones who don't, who don't agree with the word of God. Those are the images we must cast down. Because it's talking about strongholds. What is a stronghold? We have all kinds of definitions about strongholds. I mean, you know, people waging spiritual warfare and, and they're and they're talking about strongholds. What's a stronghold? What does the Bible say? Well, people have these ideas. Okay. Well, we have there's a stronghold over the city of Lubbock. And by George, we're going to drive around the loop and we're going to bind these devils, all the devils in this stronghold in Lubbock, and we cast them out in Jesus' name. Is that spiritual warfare? Before you answer, if that worked, why didn't Jesus do it around Jerusalem? Why didn't Paul do it around Athens? If that worked, we would have found it in the scripture. The stronghold is talking about here, the war that it's talking about here in these passages I've read to you, the war it's talking about is a stronghold in the mind. The word stronghold means fortress or castle. Strongholds are built one brick at a time, basically one thought at a time. And if you think something long enough, if you think, say for example, you had this thought in your mind, oh, I don't know, some goofy theology that your grandmother taught you. And it's been in your mind since you were eight years old, six years old, five years old. How about this, how about this stronghold? Your grandma says to you, we'll say my grandma, my grandma says to me, Randy, you can be anything you want to be. Is that, I mean, is that that in the Bible or not? Sounds good though, it's not in the Bible. Because it doesn't matter how much I want to be an NBA basketball player. Even in the prime of my physical life, it was never going to happen. Even if I practice dunks all day long, I'm never going to reach the rim enough to dunk it. (laughs) So I'm I'm never going to be that. Okay, but if you grow up believing that, grow up thinking now. There's a lot to be said for thinking positively and thinking about what you want. We're going to talk about that tonight. But but a stronghold is a thought you have over and over and over and over, and it's bad especially when those thoughts are dangerous thoughts that absolutely defy the Word of God. Okay, It could be your pet theology. It could be something like that. But we have to understand that these strongholds are there. We have to understand that the spirit world is real. The spiritual weapons are mighty. We have to realize we can't, we can't outsmart the devil with our intellect. We're going to have to use these weapons. We're pulling down strongholds, and we're doing what, what the Bible tells us to. The strongholds here are these imaginations and these thoughts. They've got to be pulled down. Okay, they're thoughts and imaginations that contradict the word and are allowed to be replayed in our minds over and over again until they become our reality and until we become them. That's a stronghold. When you become something that the word doesn't want you to become. That's good. We can build strongholds that are good if we use the word. Or we can build strongholds that are destructive to us and to those around us if we don't. So how do we resist? How could Eve have resisted? I wish Eve would have resisted. I wish Adam would have resisted. I would have loved that, but they didn't. All right, And we think, well, they were just idiots. They should have. Well, have you resisted too? I mean, don't blame them if we haven't done it. Well, there's a way that we can do it. Matthew 13:19 says this. Jesus is telling the parable of the sower. And he says, and when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not. Understanding here has to do with getting revelation, staying with the word of the kingdom long enough to get a revelation about the word you're hearing. Because it's one thing to hear it one time. It's a whole different thing to hear it and hear it and hear it. And one day there's revelation and there's faith involved with it. He said, if, if they get it and they understand it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is, this is he which received the seed by the wayside. So the first thing we've got to understand is the devil is intent on stealing the word. That's what he does. He wants to steal everything I'm telling you tonight. He wants to to steal everything you've heard from the Word of God. We must hear it. We must hear it. We must hear it. And then it must become revelation. Some people read that verse and they go, well, what good does it do? The devil just comes and steals it. He can't steal it from everybody. All right. Some of us can keep it in our hearts. Matthew 10, verse 32 says, whoever therefore, this is 32 and 33, Jesus said, whoever therefore shall confess me before men shall, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Now let's get a couple, that sounds pretty, pretty tough right there. If you, he said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. Now we've made that verse to mean this, and it's all right, that when you get born again, when you go in front of the church you get born again, you have to say out loud to the rest of the church, I just got saved. Okay, and that's good, that needs to be done. Here's what it really is saying. He says, whoever will confess me before men. The word confess is the Greek word homologeo. And it means to say the same thing as. To agree and say it out loud. That's what the word is talking about. Confess means to agree. He's saying, "Whoever there will agree with me and say it out loud before men I'm going to agree with and say it out loud before my father. Okay, and that implies... And, then, and the other passage that he'll he'll also tell the angels and they'll do something. It implies if we say out loud what we agree with with Jesus, then we get heavenly help to help us. The next verse: Whoever shall deny me before men, the word deny. If you look it up, the root of that word literally means to not say or to not speak. Jesus is saying, but whoever will not speak, who will not say words of agreement. Before men, then I won't say words of agreement before my father. so here's what it's talking about. it's talking about supernatural help comes from heaven when we speak up what God has said and it is it's it's held withheld when we don't when we don't say anything. The only way to agree with God is to say what he says in the face of the attack. You'll never overcome a thought with a thought. the only way to overcome a thought is with words of faith, or words of any kind. If you speak words, you can overcome a thought. If the devil comes, the thought comes, and it says, it says, get up and go smother your spouse. They're snoring too loud. That's obviously from the devil. You need, to, you need to over, most of us were thinking that's stupid. You would never take that thought in the first place. But if it keeps coming and coming and coming, you've got to resist that thought by saying something to it. No, I'm not gonna do that. No, that's not gonna happen. No, I'm not. This guy was telling a story one time. He was on the, on the top of a tall, tall building, and, and he's standing there looking down, you know, because, I mean, I like to look off of high buildings and look at the, the horizon. He said he was looking off the building, and all of a sudden he heard this voice on the inside of him that says, jump. <laughs> and the guy turns around. There's people all around and turns around and says, you jump. <laughs> That's the way you overcome the thought, is by saying something to it, by speaking something to it. When you say something out loud, the train of thinking has to stop and go with your, what you're saying. You have to overcome a thought with words. You always overcome it with, with words. All right. So we have to resist the devil by saying what God said. What? And, and Eve tried it. She said, the devil said, hath God said? She said, yeah, God said we can't do that. And he said, or we could die. And, she said, and he said, you won't die. And she didn't come back from that one. She didn't know what dying was. I mean, she'd never seen death of any kind. And so she said she didn't fight back. But we have to overcome it with the word. That's how we fight the fight of faith. We fight the fight of faith by guarding our thoughts and speaking God's word with it. So we must then learn to have our minds renewed. Renewed. If our minds are renewed then we will automatically speak what's in our heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's in your heart comes out of your mouth eventually. And he said, if you got good stuff in there, good things will come out of your mouth. If you've bad stuff in there, bad things will come out of your mouth, and you'll become whatever you say. So this is a pretty important scripture, pretty important truth. The Bible says this in Romans 12:2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. So the Bible tells us we're not to be like the world or to be changed from the world. We're not to be conformed to them. We're to be transformed. All right? It says if we, it's up to us to, to transform, to, to focus our minds or to have our mind renewed. If we'll get our mind renewed, God will transform us with his word. The enemy starts putting pressure on us at a very young age to conform to the world. I mean, just think about it. When you were a kid and all the other kids were doing it, they started saying, chicken, chicken. What was that? That was pressure to be put in their mold and do what they say. Then you get to be older. You know, you're, you're, you're a young adult, and they're all saying, let's go do this and that, and you know it's not right, you know it's wrong, and they say something like this. Oh, so are you too good to go with us? Are you just a goody two-shoes? Pressure, pressure. To make you conform to the mold of the world. That's what conformed means. It means to be put into a mold. We're to be transformed. To be radically changed on the inside. Romans 12.2 is written to Christians. Telling Christians not to be conformed. But to be transformed. If the word says don't do it. What should we do? Don't do it. We should not be conformed. We should be transformed. Be radically changed. We, We have the power to resist it. So what we see in our minds is very, very important. Have you ever thought about that? What do we see in our minds? Second Corinthians chapter 3:14, this talk about what Satan does. He says, "But their minds were blinded." talking about the lost people, or talking about the Jewish people when, when the law was read. Their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. It says their minds were blinded. Not their eyes. Their minds were blinded. They were unable to see with their minds the right things because they were thinking the wrong way. You can close your eyes and you can still see with your mind. Isn't that right? Right? You can close your eyes right now. If you close your eyes right now, if I said, close your eyes, and I want you to think about something that happened yesterday. You could do that, couldn't you? You could see it. You could see what happened yesterday. If I said, close your eyes, and I want you to see what's happening in this room right now. You can close your eyes and you can still see it in your mind. And I can say, close your eyes, and I want you to think about what you want to happen in your future. You can see in your mind the future what you want to take place. All right, so these people, their, their minds were blinded. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. In other words, there's a way to see. We look at things that are not seen. Where do we see them? In our mind. Things seen with the mind are longer lasting than things that we see with the eye. What we see continually in our minds lasts longer. What we see with our eyes is mostly temporary. In fact, I can't think of anything that might not be temporary. I mean, yeah, you know, we'll see our loved ones in heaven. We won't, they won't look like they do now. We'll see something different because they'll be spirit beings rather than physical beings. It'll be, the, the body won't be the thing we see all the time. It won't be what we talk about all the time. I mean, that'll be an awesome thing. Well, the word will be there, yes, but the word will be the word inside of us. So what we see with our eyes is, is pretty temporary. Okay, What we see with our eyes closed is more permanent. That's the reality we need to learn how to see. What we see with our eyes will change. Maybe it's time, if we're being attacked, that we shut our eyes Ask the Lord to allow us to see what he sees. Remember when when uh, uh, Gehazi asked Elisha, he said, oh, they've got the city surrounded. And, and, and Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. Yeah. Because, because Elisha had already seen it. And there were angels all around. He said, those that are with us are more than with them. We need to learn how to see what God sees. Lord, ask it, Lord. What do I need to see? If we'll close our eyes and ask God to show us what He sees in this situation, in this, in this, in this, what's going on with me right now? If I can see what He sees, if I can begin to see it this way, and I begin to look at it long enough, day after day after day, pretty soon I'll open my eyes and I'll see it in front of me because it'll manifest what cuz I'm looking at what God wants me to see, all right? We need to look at what God has said. 2 Corinthians 3:17 and 18. It says now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. Okay? So we understand that we that the spirit, Holy Spirit shows us truth, and if he shows us truth there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is talking about gazing at the Word of God. Gazing at what God has said. Focusing our eyes, focusing our heart on what God has said. We need to find out what He's showing us so we can begin to see the eternal rather than the temporary. We need to train our minds to think about what God said. To look at what God said. We need to see the eternal. We need to train ourselves to look at that which is not seen. That's an important part of what we should do. We need to be looking to Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. Looking at something beyond what we can see. We need to become strong with, what we, with regard to what we can see with our minds. We need to choose to learn to see what the word says more than what our eyes can see. This is pretty good, I think. We need to see the outcome of what God promised, rather than the outcoming threat of what Satan is doing. If you ever listen to a great basketball player, they see themselves shooting the ball, and they see nothing but net. We need to learn to see nothing but net. We're changed by what we see with our minds. The enemy has always, always tried to make us see ourselves and see what's going on around us as failures. He's tried to get the wrong image in our mind. Worry is this kind of an image. If you worry a lot, you're looking at the wrong thing. If you're afraid a lot, you're looking at the wrong thing. Worry is dangerous. It feeds fears. And it makes them stronger and stronger. We must see the miracle outcome that God's word testifies. And when you see it with your eyes closed, eventually you'll see it with your eyes open. And we got to do it all the time. We'll be transformed. According to what we just read, we'll be transformed into a different person and we'll be changed from glory to glory to glory. We want to have that happen to us. Change to glory. That's transformation. Now, I'm going to skip some things here so I can get to where I need to get to. Okay. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Talking about an attack on the mind. So an image is a picture. Let me get to a story here that I want to see. I'm going to read to you from Genesis chapter 30, beginning of verse 37. And you've read this before, I know. But the Bible says, the Bible says this. And Jacob took him rods of green poplar and the hazel chestnut tree and he, he peeled white streaks in them and made them made the white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had peeled before the flocks in the gutters and the watering troughs and the flocks came to drink that they, that, that they should conceive when they drank. And the flocks conceived before the rods that brought forth the cattle ring streaks, speckled and spotted. And Jacob did separate the lambs and it set the faces of the flocks toward the ring-streaked, and all the brown in the flock of, the, of Laban. And he put his own flocks by themselves, and put them not with Laban's cattle. And it came to pass, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceived, that Jacob laid the rods before their eyes of the cattle and the gutters, and that they might conceive among the rods. But when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in. So the feebler were Laban's, the stronger were Jacob's. And the man was increased exceedingly, and had much cattle, and men servants, and men servants, and maidservants, and camels, and asses. Okay, you've heard that story. Uh, let, me, let me just tell you a little bit about it. Jacob. As you know, the word means supplanter. It means one who tricks people. He's a tricker. That's what he He's a tricker. Well, he wound up going. He played such a great trick on his brother that his mother sends him away to go live with his uncle. And he got with Laban. Now, Jacob was, was a trickster, but Laban was like the master of tricksters. So he goes to live with Laban, and he's there with Laban. And, I mean, he was fooled and tricked by Laban ten times. Times, not once, not twice, ten times. It's like Jacob could not read the fine print. I mean, he he he'd get out there and, and, and he'd say, "Okay, I need this," and the, the Laban and his sons would go, "Uh, uh-uh. here's what the fine print says. You got to say another seven years." Remember the fine print. If I do this. If I work for you for seven years, I get Rachel. Yes, you do. Well, the fine print said, no, you don't until you marry Leah. You can't get the good looking one until you get the ugly one because she's older. And the older ones always get married first. So he tricked him and put, how stupid is this? Puts Leah in his bedroom that night. And so he's married to Leah. Well, he says, and he goes, wait, you tricked me. You lied to me. He says, oh, no, no, the fine print. I tell you what, you work for another seven years. And, and, you, and you get you get Rachel also. He did that to him 10 times, stuff like that, over and over and over. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, if you're, y'all ever seen the movie The Santa Claus 2 when, when they tell him he has to get married and he they, they has to look through this telescope thing and they keep making it where he can see more and more and more and more clear. Finally get to the place where it's so tiny, he gets this big old lens and it says, you got to get married. And so it's kind of like that. Laban tricked him over and over and over again because he didn't take the time to read the fine print. So Jacob gets tired. So he prays to the Lord about, about what he needs to do. So the Lord showed him an image of striped and spotted animals. And so Jacob figured out that's what he was supposed to do. Laban, his whole business was blessed because Jacob was there. And so Jacob, Laban wanted him to stay, so he kept tricking him. So Jacob, now he's, he's got to figure out what to do. He's been fooled before. And so he got this vision from God. He knew that if he, if, he would, if he would make striped and speckled reeds appear in front of these animals, and the Lord just showed it to him in a dream, that when they mated, they would produce striped and speckled animals. The deal he made with, with, with Laban was, okay, I'll keep your cattle. I'll take care of them all. And here's the deal. You don't have to pay me anything. All I get is I get all the striped, spotted, and brown cows, striped, spotted, and brown sheep. I get those. That's my pay. You don't have to pay me anything else. Well, he gets his dream from God. So he begins to take these animals, and they begin to mate in front of these striped and spotted reeds. And sure enough, they produce striped and spotted animals. And then Jacob says, hey, that's a strong bull, and that's a strong cow. I'm going to put reeds in front of them that are striped and spotted and brown. And when they mate, they'll produce a strong cow. And if they were weak cows, he just took the reeds away so that Laban could get the weak ones. And he all of a sudden, now he's getting smarter than Laban all of a sudden. So these cows, these cattle, these sheep, they they produced exactly what they looked at. What they saw is what they produced. Every time they saw it, they, th- th- this vision, I mean, they conceived what they were looking at. And so that's what was produced here. Again, every time they saw it, that's what they produced. Now, here's what I, this is the, co- the conclusion I've come to. If it works for a cow, <laughs> could it work for you? If it would work on a cow, surely it would work for the child of God. The Lord will help us put ourselves in places so we can see the right things from his word and produce the right things that he's promised us. Surely that would work. We become, and I'm going to show you some more scripture here, we become what we behold. We become what we look at, what we think about what what comes in us on a regular basis what is what's put into us is what we become. you're a result of what you've been thinking. what we think determines what we become. what we behold is what we produce I mean it's spiritual law there's a connection between between what you see and what you do. I promise you if you take if you take a survey of violent sex offenders in prison today, you will find they have been watchers of pornography. Violent pornography. Because they become what they look at. That happens. That's what people become. Listen to this verse of scripture. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now listen to this next part. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. Hmm. Not, Not the devil, his own lust. And enticed. Now the devil entices, but it's his own lust that draws him away. Then when lust hath conceived it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death what is lusted after produces itself and brings forth death now god's never involved with trying to get us to do something wrong it's it's our own lust what 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 is lust lust is strong desire for anything that you know is wrong. Lust is strong desire that is always accompanied by imagery in your mind. That's what lust is. I mean, I can testify to this. If you watch enough sports on TV, in particular football, and you're watching it, and every few minutes, the Pizza Hut commercial comes on. I mean, every few minutes it comes on. And you've watched that enough, I promise you, you're going to have some Pizza Hut before long. Or some kind of pizza. Maybe it's KFC. If you just get the imagery enough, you just get it, and if you don't believe me, why would anybody pay $7 million for 30 seconds of advertising at the Super Bowl this weekend? It's because they know imagery works. And if they can just produce an ad that catches attention, everybody talks about it, everybody's going to be watching it again. They're going to be saying, this is that. this is it, watch it, watch it, watch it. And the imagery works, and people produce from that image. Okay, $7 million for 30 seconds is a pretty big amount of money for somebody to throw out there thinking that that's stupid, that it won't work, but they know it will work. What you see, the image produces something. That's why some people don't need to go to the mall. I mean, just going and looking and going and looking and pretty soon the card comes out, whether you can pay it or not. Because the imagery does that. Eve would have never received the temptation if she wasn't looking at it what you see is what you become. Sin is a violation of the light that's inside of you. It's a violation of that light. If you look at darkness long enough, you will allow it to come in and you'll become dark. You'll become what you look at just like Jacob's cows. Just like his cows. If we keep looking at something, the desires get stirred up. The emotions get stirred up you can rationalize anything i mean you can rationalize buying the pizza by the time you've seen the commercial enough times you just you can you can do that anything so if we if we if we spend time if we spend time focused on things that are wrong things that disagree with the word that's what we'll become we won't produce what the word says i mean we need to understand that That we we look and we look. That's the performance. We look and we look and we look. We imagine, we imagine, we imagine. And then comes the production. We need to recognize that what we look at is what we become every single time. If we just keep looking and keep looking, we keep becoming. So what's the trick? We're going to resist the devil. We're going to look at the word of God. Look at it. Look at it. If you don't have a daily word habit, I'm gonna tell you get one. And I know people say this all the time, well, I've tried it, it didn't work. Listen, try again, try again. Keep trying until it works. If you do it for 90 days, they say that develops a habit. Well, I don't know if it does or not, but then do it for another 90 days. And pretty soon you'll have done it for 30 years and 40 years and you'll just have it. It'll just be what you do, just what happens to you. And then you have a chance of becoming what it says if you begin to gaze at it and gaze at it and gaze at it. The fear goes away. The, 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 the anger goes away because you gaze at it and you gaze at it. And when the attack comes, then you're able to say, no, this is what the Bible says. And this is what I'll have. And we can do what we're supposed to. We become what we behold. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you that your word is true. I thank you God that we can have what you promised us every single time. Lord, give us revelation about what we look at with our eyes closed. Let us see what we need to see. Let us become what we need to become as we obey you as we as we simply do what you've said to do. Father, we give you praise and honor in Jesus name. Amen.